Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is James Rudd, I'm the Digital Media Editor here at Heart. Today I'm joined by Dr. Viren Summers from the Mayo Clinic and we have an interesting conversation all about the cardiovascular risk of being excessively tired and particularly obstructive sleep apnea. We talk about the causes and possible mechanisms between excessive daytime sleepiness and cardiovascular risk and whether treating excessive sleepiness might improve your cardiovascular risk. I hope you enjoy the show and many thanks again for your kind reviews on iTunes and elsewhere. It really does help us reach new audiences. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Summers. I wonder if you'd be kind enough to introduce yourself for the Heart Podcast audience. Who are you and where do you work? Sure. Thanks for the invitation to do this, uh, James. I'm the Alice Sheets Marriott Professor of Cardiovascular Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And for background, I'm a cardiologist with a very strong uh, research interest in sleep and how it links to cardiovascular disease. Perfect. And you've just written a very comprehensive review, which is called Excessive Daytime Sleepiness, an Emerging Marker of Cardiovascular Risk. Um, can I ask you, first of all, what prompted you to write this review? What was the sort of driving force that made you think it was a good idea at this time? So we've been studying how sleep uh, relates to cardiovascular disease for, for many years now. And we've been interested in what are the biomarkers that tell you which a uh, patient with a sleep disorder is going to be at increased risk. And we've looked at a number of different things. Uh, we've looked at things like um, the apnea hypopnea index, which is how severe sleep apnea is, how much oxygen falls during sleep. Um, and one of the markers that emerged uh, over time was surprisingly how sleepy people were. And this is something that's been known in the sleep literature for many years now, that there's something about being sleepy, just the, the fundamental fact of someone being sleepy that increases risk. And probably the best example is sleep apnea, where people have shown that if you have sleep apnea uh, and you're sleepy, you seem to be at greater risk. And so, uh, you know, our data mirrored this kind of general perception but it's something that hasn't entered the cardiovascular literature to any great degree. And I thought it would be important. And, and this was written together with my lab team, uh, obviously. But uh, we thought it was important to summarize where things stood from a cardiovascular perspective for a cardiovascular audience. Hence uh, this review. And maybe we can start with some definitions. Maybe you'd be able to talk us through what you mean by excessive daytime sleepiness, as opposed to say fatigue? How do you define that? So let's put fatigue aside by considering this to be a state of physical and mental exhaustion without necessarily falling asleep. Okay. Excessive daytime sleepiness, again, as all apparently simple things seem, is actually a fairly complicated phenomenon because you've got to think of sleepiness as subjective sleepiness and objective sleepiness. And uh, you define subjective sleepiness by something called the Epworth sleepiness scale, where you give people you know, several different questions saying, how likely are you to fall asleep doing any of the following? You're sitting and reading a book, driving a car, talking to somebody, watching TV, sitting quietly, um, and depending on how likely they class themselves as generally being able to to stay awake or fall asleep, you give them a score. 
that's the subjective score. It goes to a scale of 24. And if you're you know, more than 10, you're some risk more than 18, you're greater risk of severe daytime sleepiness. And, and different people use different scores. We've found that what's particularly useful is not dividing them into categories, but using that Epworth scale as a continuous variable because uh, it, you know, that's so subjective that who knows the difference between 15 and 18. So that, that's one thing, that's subjective sleepiness. Now, objective sleepiness, we measure with something called sleep latency testing, MSLT. And what that is, is you take someone after six hours of decent sleep, you put them into a soporific, darkened, quiet environment, and you track how long it takes for them to fall asleep. If they fall asleep in five minutes or less, then they have objective sleepiness. Five to eight is some objective sleepiness. More than eight, you're probably awake or enough to, to manage most things. So, so that's the two tensions in the concept of sleepiness. Now, the really interesting group are the people who, for example, have objective daytime sleepiness. They fall asleep in four minutes. But when you ask them, how sleepy are you? They're not sleepy at all. So what is it about that group that is objectively sleepy, but they don't realize that they're sleepy? What is the, the mechanism of doing that? And then you've got the different combinations of objective and subjective. How do they fall out in terms of um, their biochemical and risk profiles? And I'll give you one example. You know, people with a significant objective daytime sleepiness have a high level of systemic inflammation. And some preliminary data we have suggests that if you're objectively sleepy, if you fall asleep in a test room, but you don't feel sleepy, you don't think you're sleeping watching TV, you seem to have a high level of catecholamines. Okay. And we'll come on to that undoubtedly sure. shortly, but let's wrap up some basics as well. Um, in terms of causes of excessive daytime sleepiness, I think most of the audience will be aware of obstructive sleep apnea or OSA. Can you tell us a little bit about that and whether there are any other causes that commonly cause excessive daytime sleepiness? So obstructive sleep apnea is a condition where people develop occlusion to the upper airway. The upper airway collapses during sleep. And this prevents them from breathing in, creates hypoxemia, wakes up the brain, and they get repetitive apneas through the night. Now, it's interesting and important to know that apneas in obstructive apnea are worst during REM or dream sleep. And why is that? That's because when you're dreaming, your body has a protective mechanism that decreases your postural muscle tone. And that stops you from acting out your dreams and makes you feel like you're paralyzed when you're dreaming, which in a sense you, you are um, in that your postural muscles are, are, are hypotonic. The problem is it also makes the upper airway muscles hypotonic. So the upper airway becomes like a, a wet paper straw. So when you inspire, that negative pressure shuts the airway down. So what does this mean? This means that whenever you get into dream sleep, your sleep is disrupted. So you don't really have that, that restorative time of REM or dream sleep. So you feel sleepy and you feel sleepy during the daytime. Now, not all obstructive apneics are sleepy and not all sleepy people have obstructive sleep apnea. And you may treat obstructive apnea and you may reverse or diminish the sleepiness, but that's not always true. So these are the important complexities of understanding 
obstructive apnea and sleepiness. What we do know though, is that if you take people with obstructive sleep apnea who are also sleepy, they seem to be at greater longer term cardiovascular risk. And you have a very nice table, one in your review paper, which shows lots of evidence compiled uh, by at least 10 or 15 different authors showing that excessive daytime sleepiness seems to increase cardiovascular risk. Do you want to talk a little bit about that table and maybe some of the mechanisms that you think EDS might increase cardiac risk? Sure. We've looked at a host of studies and we've looked at sleepiness in different conditions. We looked at it in narcolepsy, in obstructive sleep apnea, uh, in something called idiopathic hypersomnia, which is a rare disorder where people just feel very sleepy all the time and, and letting them sleep doesn't restore their sense of, of being awake. Um, and we've also looked at sleepiness in people without necessarily any sleep disorders. We looked at the NHANES population in the United States, which is a microcosm, epidemiologic microcosm of the makeup of the American population. Age, gender distributions, racial, ethnics are pretty much what the American population is. So it tells you what that population is. And across the board, there's this consistent finding that if you have evidence of excessive sleepiness, for all of these disorders, you either have a higher overall profile of cardiovascular risk markers, or you have a greater uh, adverse cardiovascular outcome, or in, as in our NHANES study, uh, we found a greater cardiovascular mortality in sleepy people, independent of any other cause of increased cardiovascular mortality. Now, the mechanisms are a different story. Very, very difficult to know. Um, we don't know, and it's very important for your audience to understand that, that we don't know if sleepiness is a mechanism or just simply a biomarker. If it's a bystander that is driven by the fundamental mechanism that's also causing damage to your heart and blood vessels. And I, I don't have any specific um, definitive evidence one way or the other. You do have a nice figure again in, in your paper figure two, where you, you put together a kind of theoretical framework of elements you think might be involved, which includes dysbiosis of the gut microbiome, adipose tissue dysfunction, and then some predisposition genetically and epigenetically. Um, presumably this is gathered from, uh, you know, the best sort of evidence that you came across in writing your review. Yeah, we tried to call from the literature, what, what's the current thinking? What's the emerging thought of, of why sleepiness should be linked to a heightened risk? And, and these were the three, uh, you know, you summarize them very nicely, the, the three key areas that we thought were important for people wanting to follow or study this. The first is the gut microbiome, which we know is, is really an incredibly important uh, area of investigation. Uh, in that the bugs in the gut are protecting us from all kinds of bad things, but also depending on which bugs we have, are creating a disease for us. Uh, it's, uh, you know, if you think of how diet affects your overall health, that's in, in many ways the transduction between diet and disease is your gut microbiome. And one of the things that we found was very interesting was if you replace 5% of your protein with saturated fats, you get a 50% increase in sleepiness. Really? So that's a huge, yeah, that's a huge change. It's just based on diet alone. Now that's true for saturated fats, but unsaturated fats are okay. So here's an example of what you eat 
possibly acting via the gut microbiome, and that's hypothetical. We don't know that for sure, but we, we're thinking that. Um, changing the sense of how you feel. And why would that be? Well, one thing is inflammation. Mm. If you eat things that make you have a gut microbiome that generates systemic inflammation, those cytokines are known to suppress the wake-promoting agents, and that can make you more sleepy. And that, that applies to adipose tissue dysfunction as well. Adipose tissue inflammation is, is very important. And so, uh, you know, if you have inflammation in your adipose tissue or dysfunction, the adipokines, the unhelpful adipokines also will suppress your wake-promoting uh, circulating agents and uh, cause sleepiness. And maybe that's one of the reasons why people uh, who are obese tend to be more sleepy. And maybe sleep apneics with inflamed adipose tissue are more likely to be sleepy and more likely to have a higher risk of disease, not because they're sleepy, because that inflamed adipose tissue is generating messengers that are damaging the blood vessels. And then with genetics, you know, we, we know for sure that there are certain genetic characteristics that predispose to sleepiness. Uh, you know, one example is fatal uh, familial hypersomnia. And we know it's an autosomal dominant uh, characteristic and you know, affects sleep and, and causes dementia and early death. Uh, and we know that things like idiopathic hypersomnia, you know, although rare, they can be uh, familial. Um, and so there's this good reason to think that genetics to some extent and epigenetics, histone methylation due to environmental characteristics may be responsible for increased sleepiness. Uh, there was one twin study that suggested maybe 30% of sleepiness may be genetic. And we don't know for sure, but it's clearly multifactorial and driven by many things, not just the genetics. And I guess that begs the question, does treating these sleep disorders, uh, particularly obstructive sleep apnea, do we have any evidence at all that it might improve your cardiovascular risk profile? That's a great question. We don't know. So, you know, it's important to recognize that we've had several studies of randomized controlled trials of treating sleep apnea that haven't shown clear benefit. And one of the problems with the trials of sleep apnea is they haven't treated sleepy people. They haven't randomized the really sleepy people because everyone's afraid that if you don't treat a sleepy person with apnea, they're going to have a motor vehicle accident. They're going to have some other workplace accident. Yeah. So the studies have consciously excluded people with severe sleepiness. And so we don't know about that group, if treating the apnea and diminishing the sleepiness improve their overall outcomes. But the issue is, is a very important one. Can preventing the sleepiness alone reverse the risk? Or does that just treat a symptom rather than the cause? Yeah, I guess the trial, as you say, is always going to be very hard to do, isn't it? With a, when you've got an intervention like CPAP. Uh, or no CPAP, and you leave some people untreated for presumably many years. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's a tough trial. Yeah. Just in uh, wrapping up, Dr. Summers, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? It's been really interesting to get your insights into this, as you say, under-recognized area, certainly within cardiology. Well, uh, only to warn people that everything I say is very susceptible to change over the next few years <laughs> as we find out more. And, um, and to also consider the possibility that, that there may be a vicious cycle in, you know, with people. Are, so, so we just did a study on sleep deprivation and found that when you admit people to the hospital and you deprive them of sleep, 
in a random sequence, you give them four hours sleep a night for two weeks, and then you bring them in and wow. a few months later and you let them sleep normally for two weeks. During the period of sleep deprivation, they increase their calorie intake by more than 300 calories. Along with that, they develop visceral fat deposition. So wow. the message that, that I want to leave out there is that, is that sleep and sleep quality and duration will actually affect the nature and the amount of calories that you eat. And there may be a vicious cycle between having a sleep disorder, being sleepy, eating the wrong things, which then in return make you more sleepy, make you more likely to get fat, get viscerally obese, worse sleep disorder, worse sleepiness. So that, that's something just to bear in mind, something we're, we're testing in, in different ways uh, as best we can. Oh, it sounds like uh, a career in medicine, particularly as an intern or a resident with uh, less than four hours sleep a night is, uh, yes. is a risk factor, as, as I think we all know, you know, shift pattern, uh, nighttime working is, is well been long been known to be a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And that may well be a mechanism that you've just outlined. Indeed. Well, it's been uh, really good to, to chat to you about this. Um, I will make the paper free for a few weeks after the podcast comes out so everybody can enjoy it. And I uh, just want to thank you for your time in taking part today. Uh, it's a privilege to be invited, James. Thank you. No problem at all. Mm-hmm.